Well, tonight, I want to just for a few minutes just share from, with you from the Word. I want to talk about a, um, a subject that's really not very popular uh, unless we come in, well, it's not very popular, but until we begin to really understand what I'm talking about tonight, we're never going to have an intimate relationship with God. How many of you want an intimate relationship with him? You know, and, and so this is an important subject that we're talking about. And, and we'll, never, we'll never be able to touch the lives of people around us the way that he wants us to touch people. And our prayers will be, our prayer lives will be ineffective. Our lives will be empty. They'll be shallow. And we'll never be the people that God wants us to be until we get a handle on what I want to talk about tonight. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? But it's not a popular subject because we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned this morning, the title is, If It Ain't Broke, Break It. And I know that's horrible grammar. I understand that, but it just sounds better when you say it that way. I don't know why. But Luke chapter 20, verse 18, Jesus is speaking. And this is what he said. He said, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. That's an interesting statement because he's saying, listen, if you throw yourself on me, you'll be broken. You'll be broken. And, and, and we use that word, you know, it really has a different meaning in different contexts. And we use that word and, and there is a brokenness that's in the world. There's a brokenness in our lives that he wants to heal that's a, but, but there are other places in our lives that are thriving that he wants to be broken. And so I want to talk to you about that because until we are, we're broken before God in the right places, then we're never going to know him the way he wants us to know him. And, and the truth is, until we're broken in the way that he wants us to be broken and in the places he wants us to be broken, then we're never going to be able to, we won't even, we won't change our families, much less change our neighborhoods or change the world. So what does it mean to be broken? And what areas of my life should be broken? And I'm going to try to hopefully answer some of those questions tonight. The first thing is this. The first area where we must be broken if we want to be the people God wants us to be is that our wills must be broken. Our will must be broken. How many of you know we are a very strong-willed people? Some of us more so than others, right? You know, some of you is like, you're so strong-willed that I said, you know, if I ask you to raise your hand right now, in response to that, you're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. I understand that. But, you know, in Deut Deuteronomy chapter 9, the Lord's speaking about the people of Israel. He said, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and they are a stiff-necked people indeed. I love the picture in that. The mental picture is that, is that the wind of the Spirit's moving and blowing in a certain way, and people have just stiffened their neck, and they're saying, I'm not going to bend on this. Because stiff-necked means stubborn. It's about our will, we, and, and we often fight the will of God. And sometimes it's big ways, but other times it's in small ways. Because, but there are times when we know what God wants. We know what his will is, but we keep fighting it, and we keep resisting it in our lives. You know what? The, the reality is, it is 
I want you to understand that this is normal in one sense because even Jesus did not like everything that came his way. Did you realize that? He was in the garden and he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to walk down this road if there's any other way. But he was still broken in his will and in being obedient because he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus submitted his will to the Father because he knew, and you can read this in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, it tells us this, he knew that the end the end result, what he was going to see happen, what he was there to do, the end of it all was going to be worth the pain of the now. That's why he says in Hebrews, he said that he endured the suffering for the joy that was set before him. And, and we need to understand that we don't need to resist God's will because sometimes God's will hurts. It, 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 it does. Sometimes God's grace can be painful as he works in us. But we don't need to resist it because the end will be worth the now. Paul said it like this. I love, this is one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He said, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is, there is so much in that verse right there. This light and momentary affliction. I mean, just break it down a little bit. I don't care what we walk through, whatever you have to deal with, it, whether it's a loss of a loved one or it's pain or suffering or sickness or, 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 or whatever it might be, I want you to understand that in comparison to the glory that he has prepared for you, what he's trying to do in you, that all of that is light and all of that is momentary. Even if it lasts my entire lifetime, when you compare my lifetime to eternity, it's just a moment of time. It's light and it's momentary affliction. But, but, but you know, sometimes we have this idea that pain in our lives, that, that there's sometimes we wrestle with it and we think that there's just no purpose in it and we can't figure it out and we don't understand, God, why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? Why is this coming into my life? And we can't figure it out. But even when we can't figure it out, I want you to understand there's always a purpose in it. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't understand it, there's a purpose in it because he says that through that suffering that he is preparing for us uh, an eternal weight of glory beyond, a, beyond comparison. So all of those steps when you walk through the pain and the suffering and you can't figure it out and it doesn't seem like there's any meaning behind it, there is meaning behind it because all of that is preparing for you the weight of eternal glory glory. That's a whole different message though. <laughs> He's saying it really doesn't matter what happens in this life. If I'm walking with Jesus, if God is leading me, because it's all getting me ready for my final destination. It's all shaping me. It's all getting me prepared for that time when I finally go to live forever in his presence. We've got to reach a place of brokenness in our wills, a place where we recognize that God's way is the best way, even if his way is difficult or painful for us. 
And, and the thing is, we have to understand that if we maintain our stubbornness, there is a price to pay for stubbornness. Exodus 33.3 says this, go up to the land flowing of milk and honey. This is, okay, let me set the context. This is after the, the, the Israelites had sent the spies into the land and, and the 10 spies came back and what did they say? They said, we can't go. There's no way that, that we're going to do this. And two spies said, are you kidding me? This place is incredible. And God, I just picture him up in heaven saying, when the Israelites saying, we're not going to go. There's giants in the land. And I can imagine him saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just destroyed the most powerful army on earth. And you're worried about giants? And this is the situation. And then, and then after this is done and, and God says, all right, you're not going in. I'm not going to take you in. You're going to wander around in the wilderness. Anybody that's 40 or older, you're, you're not going to see the promised land. And all of a sudden, they regret their decision to be stubborn and disobedient. And they say, all right, all right, I'll tell you what. We changed our mind. God will go on in. And God's answer to them is go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. There's that word again. And I, listen to this, he says, I might destroy you on the way. How many of you, how many of you have ever taken a long road trip with your kids? <laughs> this thought just crossed my mind. And they're in, the, they're in the back seat, and like every 10 minutes, how much longer? And you're thinking, I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> so anyway, but listen, that verse tells us two things that can happen. When we're stubborn, when God says, no, you can't go in, or, or whatever the situation might be, the first thing is stubbornness results in the, in the loss of God's presence. He said, yes, you can go, but I'm not going with you. And when we insist on our own way and we're stubborn uh, in, that, in that insistence, then we begin to lose the presence of God. Now, not in the sense, I mean, I know we all are living in the presence of God, but we, we lose his hand upon us. We lose his anointing on our lives. We, we can't move forward under his leadership. But the second thing that happens is his anger is kindled toward us when we stubbornly resist his will. That's a scary thing because that's, that's where he said, Go ahead and go, but I might, if, uh, if I went with you, I, I might destroy you on the way. That's anger. That's, that's where the anger of God. See, we, we love the love of God. We love the grace of God. We love the mercy of God. But we forget that the God is also a God that can get angry. If you don't believe that, just read a little bit, in the, especially in the Old Testament. Listen, if you don't believe that, read the story of the cross. That's the wrath of God for our sin being poured out on Jesus. Don't, don't tell me that God doesn't get angry. But, you know, really the truth is, all of this, the issue of, of, of breaking our will, it's really a, a, an issue of surrender. But our problem, especially in the Western world, because we live in a whole different world than most of the Christians in this world. And if you've never been on a missions trip, you don't understand that. Uh, but, but sometimes our great wealth, and you say, I don't have great wealth. Listen, you go to Haiti with me, and you will see, I don't care how, how poor you are in Marion, you have great wealth compared to some of the, the people that I've met there. But in our great wealth, sometimes it gets in the way of being able to be obedient. And what happens is, 
we, we say, I want to surrender to God, but we end up saying, in reality, Lord, I only want to surrender to you when it's convenient. You know, I, I have a nephew that when he was little, um, after church on a Sunday night, he had gotten in trouble, and uh, he was sitting in a chair that was in the back of the sanctuary near the door, and uh, he, what, he'd gotten in trouble because he had, they had a, a sign out front of the church that you could change the letters, and he wasn't supposed to go out there, and he got then started moving the letters around, you know, so it just, he was little, like two or three, maybe three years old, maybe four, had no idea what he was spelling or anything, but he just started doing that, got in trouble, and he, and they put him down uh, uh, in a chair as, uh, and said, you're going to sit there until we leave, and he did not like to sit there, uh, and you, you have kids that do not like to sit there, uh, and <laughs> yes, raise your hands right up here, <laughs> um, you, and anyway, the people were back and they had a little space behind the pews in the back of the church and, and people were in back just kind of standing around talking and chatting. You know how we as Christians like to just kind of talk a little bit after church and they were all standing there and doing that. And all of a sudden in his anger, uh, he, he speaks up and really loudly he says, I fired God. <laughs> he, he didn't even know what that meant. He never knew. He had no idea what be, meant to be fired, but he said, I fired God. Well, we laugh about, about that, but you know what? When it comes to obedience, do you know what we do? When the, when the time comes when God says, I want you to do this, and it's uncomfortable or it's inconvenient, or we say, Lord, I'm afraid to do that. No, I'm not going to do it. Do you know what you just did? You said, God, you're fired. I'm taking charge now. We fire God all the time. We say, okay, God, you're on the throne. You're, the, you're the, sitting on the throne of my life. And then, it, then it, you know, he says, all right, we're, you go through your day. He says, listen, I want you to go talk to that person right over there. I, I'm laying something on your heart. I want you to go speak to them. I want you to pray with them. I've got something prepared. And then we're so scared to, that we're, that we're going to miss God or somehow we're going to offend them that we don't do it. And so when we say, no, God, I'm not going to do it, what we're really doing is saying, okay, Jesus, step off the throne. I'm going to sit down for a minute. Now I'm in charge, I ain't going. And we do that all the time. And, and uh, when, now the, the thing is, when, when things are blowing up in our lives, <laughs> oh, now we want to surrender. But we've got to learn to trust him no matter what because the price is too high. Our wills must be broken before God. My will must be broken. It, my life must not be about what Dave wants. My life must not be uh, about what, what, what I desire. My life must be, Jesus, what do you want? And that's what I must do. Now, I understand that this is a process that because we're, we're growing and we're learning all the time, but that's got to be the place where we're heading in our lives. Second place that we need to be broken this is a tough one. Our pride must be broken. Our pride must be broken. How many of you know that sometimes we're really full of pride? Let me see your hand. Yeah? Yeah, some that didn't raise your hand, you're saying, no, no, I'm humble and I'm proud of it. <laughs> Humble's my middle name, you know? You know, but we tend to think that the world revolves around us. That's a pride issue. You know, that's, this is why, I mean, listen, when you walk into a room, if you're kind of one of those 
people that walk into a room and if you see two people speaking quietly over in the corner and you think they must be talking about me, you got a pride issue. Because automatically you're saying everything must be about me. You know what, when, when we take offense at the words of, of another person about us, it's really a pride issue because we say, I deserve better than that. Well, well why is that? Why do we think that? It's because we think high, more highly. Now, I understand that, you know, I mean, people should be civil. People shouldn't say mean things. But the reality is that if I'm really following Jesus, if I'm following his example, they, uh, they uh, mocked him. They said some horrible things about him. And the Bible says that he kept his mouth shut. Boy, that's hard to do. Jesus said to turn the other cheek. Romans says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And our responsibility is to forgive whether or not that person asks for forgiveness. When we judge others, it's pride. We, maybe we judge them for how they look. Maybe we judge them for how they act. Maybe they judge them how, for how they talk. But regardless of why we judge them, we're judging them because in one way or another, we think that we're better than them. And, and that's, that's, honestly, that's offensive to God because he created them. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm not proud of the story, but I'm going to tell it to you. It was, I hadn't been out of Bible college very long. I was at the first church. It was in Independence, Missouri. And I remember one afternoon I was in the office and there was nobody else there. And this, this woman came up to the, to the office and rang the doorbell. And I went and answered the door. And she said, you know what, I, I, I need a ride. She said, I, I've already got a t bus ticket. I'm, I'm on my way out of town. I'm trying to get to this certain place. And I just need a ride to the bus station. And now, now today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I probably would find another way to get this done because uh, uh, I, but I was young and foolish because I, I try not to uh, be seen in a car with some woman that, that I don't know because today's world, all it takes is an accusation. We all know that very clearly. But I remember I thought to my, I said, well, you know, I tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a ride. And so I had this little Ford Escort. And uh, we went and got in the car. And it was, it was the middle of summer. And, you know, and it's hot and humid. And you get in your car and there's that moment where it just, the heat just takes your breath away. And so we tur I turned the car on and turned the, the, the air on. But it doesn't take very long before I realized that this, that this woman uh, has not had a bath for a while. And we're in this enclosed area. You know what I'm talking about. And the smell just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I wonder how fast before I get pulled over. You know, and I'm trying to get to the bus station as fast as I can. And I finally get there. And, and I remember in my heart feeling so relieved because she's getting out of the car. And she got out of the car and I started going back and I rolled the windows down to try to air it out. And I remember feeling, thinking all these things. And in that moment, how many of you know those moments in your life when God speaks to you? Somebody said, was it an audible voice? No, it was much louder than that. <laughs> You know, and it was one of those times when I knew God uh, was dealing with me, and this was not one of those pleasant, you know, sometimes God speaks to you and says, I love you, I want you to know that. And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know. And then other times, he lowers the boom on you. Yeah. Yeah. At least he does on me. And I remember in that car, as I was driving back, and I was thinking about that smell, the Lord spoke to me, and as clear as day, he said, 
That's what your pride and self-righteousness smells like to me right now. Does the Lord slap anybody besides me? Because that was a slap. And I had to repent before him. Because there I was. I was in this car with this person. This, she was created by God. I had the opportunity to be able to, to share something about the gospel, to talk with her about Jesus. And I didn't do it because I was so distracted thinking that I was better than her because I, was some, I had had a shower that day. It was a sobering moment for me. It's pride. And it's a part of our lives that has to be broken. You know, another way that pride shows up is when we try to live life on our own. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart with me, you can do a little bit. Is that what he said? What did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But what we do is we live our life thinking, well, you know what, God, I need you for the big things, but I can handle a little bit. And really, that's pride in our lives. We need to recognize our dependence on God. We, we are not self-sufficient, and we need to Im- admit that. And, and it's also an act of pride and arrogance when we, when we do what we want instead of what God wants. And, and that's, you know, we talked to mentioned forgiveness. That's an area where this really shows up because when someone sins against me, I know what God wants me to do. Don't you know what God wants you to do? We know he says, forgive those that sin against you. We know that, and yet we resist that because somehow we think we're letting them off the hook. But that's a whole different message on forgiveness another time. And we, we, when we do that, as I said earlier, that's the moment we're dethroning him. And we're saying, Lord, uh, I know this is what you want, but I'm going to take control of my life now. And the problem, the big problem with pride is this. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God opposes the proud. Listen, that is not a battle that I can win. That's a losing proposition for me to, to insist on walking in my pride and saying and, and putting myself in opposition to God. I, listen, how many of you, we love the verse where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's great, isn't it? It's awesome. But I think the opposite is true as well. If God is against us, then does it really even matter who's for us? You know what I'm saying? So how can our pride be broken? Well, how do we deal with it? The best way to deal with pride is that we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We need to see His holiness in order to understand who we really are. Because our pride, our pride tells us that we're better than we really are. That's, you know, pride is one of the most insidious of all the sins because it's the hardest one for us to see in ourselves. Because pride tells me you're okay. 
Pride says you're doing great. And it might be pride lying to me in that moment, but I need to see myself in reality. And the only way I can really see myself in reality is not by measuring myself against you, because when I measure myself against you, either I'm going to be prideful and I'm going to say, well, at least I'm not like, like Jason, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there. Or it'd be the other side or other way around, and I can look at somebody and, and in, in false humility say, well, I sure wish I could be like Mary Beth. See, I got to be on the side of the wife. I... Listen, Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I can't imagine the scene here. And as Isaiah, who was a very well-educated, brilliant, man had been a counselor to multiple kings if anybody could look at themselves and say man I have got my act together when he came face to face with God when he was standing in the presence of the utter stark holiness of God he said woe is me woe is me I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, when we get into His presence, when we get a, a vision, when we begin to understand even a glimpse of His holiness, then all of a sudden, the light of His glory, the light of His holiness begins to shine the light on the places in our lives that have been dark, that we've been blind to, or willfully ignoring. And all of a sudden, instead of comparing myself to you, I realize that without Him, I have no hope. None whatsoever. And that breaks my pride. That's what brings, my, brings me to my knees and says... And helps me to begin to say, Lord, I am nothing and I can do nothing. It's all you. So I, I, I encourage you to pray and ask God to show you, show you to yourself as he sees you. Now there's both good and bad to that prayer. The reason I say that is because Yes, he sees you in, in, in love. He sees you as his child. He sees you in all these things. But he also very clearly sees the places that you have not submitted to his lordship. And when we see ourselves against his holiness, then we can become broken in his presence. And the, the great thing about being broken in his presence is that God always, he loves to use broken vessels. You know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, Gideon. <laughs> I, love, I love God's battle plans because they make no sense. You know, you go to Jericho. Okay, God, how should we attack the city? Should we, you know, grappling hooks? What? He says, here's what you do. March around the city today. Don't say a word. Uh, okay. Do that again. Six more days. Uh, all right. 
Then on the seventh day, march around seven. And then after you march around the seventh time, I want the, you, you to blow the trumpets and everybody shout, and then the walls will fall down. It's like, okay, all right, well, God, that's a great military strategy there. Gideon's another one. I love the story of Gideon. One of the things I love about it is he gathers these, these soldiers, this army about him. <laughs> no general has ever said this. And God looks at the army and says, nope, you got too many. <laughs> so he, they send some home. And, and he looks at his army and says, all right, well, it's, it's a lot smaller, but I feel good about the force we got here. I think we can do some damage. And God says, nope, you still got too many. And end up, end up with 300 against the whole army. And you know what their, what their weapons were? <laughs> Somebody tell me. They had a torch and a pitcher. I want you to picture this. I don't even know where I'm going with all this. But I'm enjoying it. So just, you know. Buckle your seatbelt. I picture it like this. Gideon's army's out there. And they got their torches burning. And they got their pitchers over that, over that torch so nobody can see it. And he says, when I, when, I, when I tell you, when the signal comes, break the pitcher. And when the pitcher is broken, the light comes forth. We're the pitcher. That's why we got to be broken in his presence, broken in the right ways, not broken because of our sin, not broken, you know, in that we're, we, we can't function any, you know, correctly, that we can't uh, move forward with God, but broken in the sense that we realize that those th parts of our lives that God has, has been working on, those, our will, our pride, whatever it might be, when it begins to be broken, then through those cracks, then his light can begin to shine forth in our lives. Third thing that needs to be broken. And this sounds a little odd, but our hearts have to be broken. I'm not talking about in the sense, you know, there's a, there's a broken heart, for example, when you lose somebody you love. You know, this past summer I lost my dad, and there was a, there was a brokenness in my heart. That's not the heart, broken heart that I'm talking about. How many of you know the world that we live in is completely and utterly lost? Our, our society is in shambles. Violence rules the day. I mean, how many of you would feel safe walking at 2 o'clock in the morning in downtown Memphis? <laughs> Some of you are like, forget 2 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, convenience and comfort is more important than actually doing anything that's the right thing. There's no respect for life in our, in our nation. There's no fear of God, which, by the way, is the greatest problem with our nation, that we have lost our fear of the Lord. Not just in the world, <laughs> but in the church, too. Again, that's a whole different message. I'm going to need to take notes because I'm going to have to write these messages out. We live in very, very dark times spiritually. And, and you know what? Even the church so often in America 
has become completely self-absorbed. And, we, we're, and the church, is, it's so easy to become inwardly focused and you see what's going on and you say, I want to preserve my tradition and what I like and what we do here. And we, we take our eyes, instead of looking outward, we, we look inward and then we lose sight of everything that's going on around us. And we lose sight of the world and the brokenness and the pain and the, and the sorrow. And we forget that that's why Jesus came. That's why, that's why you're still here. Think about it. Wouldn't it make a lot of sense if he didn't have a mission for us? Wouldn't it make a lot of sense if the moment somebody came down to the altar and got saved, that the, that the Lord struck him dead and they just went straight to heaven right then? No chance to backslide. Of course, probably would have very small altar calls. <laughs> like, hey, you want to get saved? Uh, may, maybe later. I, I don't think so. The reason you're still alive after you got saved is because he said, all right, now I have given you the light. I want you to go shine it everywhere else. That's the world we live in. Much of the world, especially outside of America, is suffering in poverty. There are people all over the world that are trying to appease God through false religions. You know what a religion is? A religion is man's attempt to get to God. But, but that's not what Christianity is, because Christianity is not about what I do to get to God. It's about what he has done to bring me to him. And it's easy. Listen, when we, it's easy for us. The reason it's so easy for a church to get inwardly focused is because it's really super, super easy. I can't, that's kind of a weird way to say it, but I, I guess two supers are better than one. But it's, it's extremely easy to become hardened to the pain of the world around us because we live in a world that is more connected than ever and the, the pain and the suffering and the sin and the heartache and everything that's going on in the world around us, it is in our face all the time. And it's easy to, to just become callous to it because we don't want to feel the pain. But listen, when our hearts become calloused, the Holy Spirit needs to come in and begin to work because our hearts need to be softened by the compassion of God for this world. You know, can I tell you something? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there are many, many, many people here in this nation who have said no to Jesus time and time and time again, and that's a tragedy, and we need to be concerned about that. We need to pray about that. But have you ever thought about the fact that there are millions upon millions upon millions of people who have never even had the chance to say no because they have not heard about him and we should weep over things like that that should break our heart things that break the heart of God should break our hearts because God loves all mankind Jesus died for all the people of this world Jesus died for the Muslim he died for the terrorist the answer is for the terrorist to get saved and he weeps over the lostness of this world. And he, he weeps over the lostness of Marion and Memphis. And, and, and we need to have the heart of God. And, and we will weep over the lost only when we have the heart of, of God. We need to understand how he mourns for the people of this world who are lost. And when we understand that, it helps us motivate us. It keeps us moving forward and reaching this world. And, but we will never be broken. We will never weep over 
over the things that break the heart of God, when we are absorbed in ourselves, absorbed in our own lives, absorbed in our own, own circumstances, that actually leads often to nothing more than either greed or self-pity. One of the two. But Jesus said in John chapter 9, and this is a verse that has haunted me so many times in my life, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. This is the phrase. Night is coming. Night is coming. When no one can work. We need to sense the urgency of the hour. We as a church need to sense the urgency so much that we're willing to say, okay, let's do whatever we have to do to reach this city. Let's change whatever we have to change. Let's pay whatever price has to be paid because night is coming when we're not going to be able to reach this city. This is our moment. This is our time. Now is not the time for us to worry about our reputation or worry about what other people are going to think about us or worry about our financial situation or worry about the fear of rejection. Now is the time for the people of God to rise up and take action and say, I'm going to surrender my will to God. I'm going to allow my pride to be broken before him. And I'm going to let my heart be broken for the lost people of the, that of the city that are around me and the lost people of nations all around all the way around the world and I'm going to let myself be used up for the gospel there's one of my missionary heroes Dwayne Jones most of you probably haven't heard of him got some incredible stories about him but I remember he came to, to preach for me one time in Reno when we were pastoring there and he came in on Saturday morning, and, or, and, and that afternoon, or, uh, or actually that Saturday evening, I took him out for dinner. And we're sitting there, and we're just talking about things. And I'm telling you, I mean, this man has such a passion for reaching the lost and, uh, and, and reaching this world for Jesus. And he probably is, is at least in the sense of God, he probably uh, has been responsible for raising more money for missions than anybody else I've ever met. But he said this in that conversation. He looked across the table, looked me square in the eye, and he said, Dave, we're not running out of money. We're running out of time. And I know I, I, if you came tonight hoping, you know, that you were going to have a, a message that's going to make you jump up and down and shout, well, you know what, I love preaching those kind, but I also want to tell you the whole truth. And I want you to understand that we are here for a mission. We are here on a purpose. God has placed us here in this city, this church, you, me, all of us, for such a time as this. And this is our time. You know, every generation's got about 40 years that they can make a difference in their world. And this is our 40 years. This is our opportunity. This is our moment. This is our chance. And we have been placed into this city, placed into the kingdom for such a time as this. And we will only grab hold of that when we allow our hearts to be broken before God and say, Lord, I see the lostness of the people around me. And as it breaks your heart, let it break my heart. Lord, let me see that person that's serving me as a restaurant, not as somebody that's there for my convenience, but as a divine 
divine appointment that I can touch them with your love. When I stand in the grocery store and the clerk is standing there at the, at the, at the checkout stand and I sense that God is trying to speak to them. Lord, let me be to have enough courage to say, I want to say something to you about how Jesus loves you. To, to be used by him, to be available to him, only happens when our wills are broken, when our pride is broken, and when our hearts are broken. This is our moment. What will we do with it? That's the question. What will we do with it? Are you ready for an unquestioning surrender? of your life? Are you willing to let God work in your heart in such a way that it moves you to tears as you weep for people in your neighborhood who don't know Jesus? See, that's, we have a vision to see this church grow. But we're not here about church growth. You hear about leading people to Jesus. And you know what? Don't, mis don't misunderstand me. But if we lead 200,000 people to Jesus and every one of them ends up going to another church, but they're serving Jesus, I'm okay with that. It's about him. It's about him. What are you going to do? What will you allow him to do? Will you get in your prayer closet? Will you get alone with him? Will you get into his presence so that in his holiness you can begin to see who you really are and you can begin to understand how he, he weeps over the world around you and let him change your heart?